Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 11. We have a full house this week. We also have a special guest, Yina Arenas from the Microsoft Graph team. She's a group program manager over there. But before we get to Yina, let's, uh, let's start off with the news. So Gladys, what do we have? Hi, everyone. Um, this week, I've been working heavily with this customer um, about uh, AD, RMS, and Azure Information Protection. And I um, discovered that there's a lot of confusion with all these services. Uh, because of this, I, I wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about uh, this particular service. AD, RMS, or Rights Management Service, um, is an on-prem solution that helps uh, protect documents uh, using information uh, rights management uh, service. It allows uh, individual to uh, specify permissions uh, for documents, workbooks, uh, presentations, um, mainly to protect them no matter where these documents end up. We have in Azure a service called Azure RMS, and it's basically a cloud technology used with Azure Information Protection in order to protect the document. It's similar uh, as ADRMS, but it's in the cloud. Azure Information Protection is the cloud solution that not only enables to use that protection in the um, files, but also allows labeling uh, to be used as part of the files. And this is uh, really important because no matter where the files, whether they're stored in the cloud, in a USB device, on-premises, now um, this uh, information or protection is uh, embedded in the documents. This apply for documents such as Word, Excel, PowerPoint, VC, Adobe PDF, JPEGs, and many others. Then there's this other service called Sensitive Labels, which is uh, part of Microsoft 365. Portions of Azure Information Protection are being deprecated as March uh, 2021 and are moved into uh, Microsoft 365. And the reason for this is because now it can interoperate with other services like data loss prevention and even third-party uh, partners like uh, Palo Alto in order to provide um, more protections uh, to files. This is important uh, basically as customers are looking to protect files. So be aware that there's different type of rights management services out there uh, to help you protect those files. Last, I wanted to talk about um, Office 365 uh, with Sentinel. Uh, there's a blog that has been uh, released with a checklist uh, of all the configuration that can be done uh, or um, a lot of uh, the configuration that can be done Protect Office 365, be in the lookout uh, in our site for the um, uh, URL. Actually, before I start, the uh, I wanted to I, I love rights management services now, Azure Information Protection, and getting some new Microsoft Information Protection names. It's been around long enough to have originally had the name Active Directory when we we're naming everything Active Directory Rights Management Services. Um, and you know, it's it, it was a, it was the first time I really saw mainstream uh, application go from sort of 
kind of a crypto nerd point of view. Love crypto nerds. Yes, Michael. Um, but to a user point of view and really kind of look at cryptography and the way of protecting stuff through how do we actually make this work in the user workflow. So, you know, I love that technology, what they've been doing uh, to it over the years. So um, from my side, focused uh, a lot lately because um, we're in the run up to Ignite on a couple of different things that are uh, releasing as we speak. One is the Azure Security Benchmark. So the version two of that is coming out. Um, and we did a lot of focus on both the benchmark as well as the other one, the top 10, the Azure Security Top 10 Best Practices. Um, we did a lot of focus on you know making this actionable as possible. It's easy for people to kind of follow these best practices and get them done. Um, so we map them to the security roles that we published in the cloud adoption framework. Um, so the various different uh, uh, roles and functions within the security team, you know, the people functions. And uh, so we, we really kind of took the extra time to, uh, to map those in there to kind of help people with that. So that was kind of cool. And then um, just the, one of the big things uh, you know, is we've uh, effectively retired or we're in the process of retiring the Azure Security Compass into the uh, Azure Security Benchmark so that there is just one place to go for Azure Security uh, 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 guidance. And so we uh, got a chance to really clarify and clean up um, and get some really, uh, really clear guidance in there just around, um, you know, bringing the networking controls down to like, five, I think, five or six. Nice and simple. Same thing with the data controls. So we got some really crisp, clear um, outcomes on that. So really excited to get people's feedback on that and uh, and uh, see how that's landing with folks because um, it really uh, helped us uh, get some real clarity there, which is always difficult because of how fast things are moving in the cloud. So that's kind of the uh, the news from my, uh, my side of the world. I've been encompassed with that all day. Few, uh, a few items caught my eye this uh, last, last couple of weeks. Uh, the first one is Azure Time Series Insights uh, now supports Azure Active Directory groups. So you can actually set access policies on that data and on that environment based on group membership. The other one, um, thank you for the hat tip there about being a crypto nerd, is that IoT Hub, uh, we're making some changes there in the way some of the TLS certificates work. Uh, we're essentially using a different set of trusted CAs. Uh, that work is actually already underway, and we expect to conclude it by sort of the end of October. Basically, the only time you're really going to come across an issue is if you have a client's application that uses certificate pinning to use a subset of CAs. Uh, you need to go and review your application to make sure you make the appropriate changes uh, because, frankly, your client will, will fail uh, when we make these changes. Uh, there's a link in the show notes to a technical blog on this. And uh, so if you're writing code for IoT Hub or IoT devices using TLS certificates and certificate pinning, do yourself a favor and go and read this technical blog. The other um, item is in Azure Synapse SQL On Demand, now enforces TLS 1.2 on outbound connections. Keyword being enforces. Uh, if you have a connection to a, a component that um, doesn't support TLS 1.2 or better, uh, that connection will fail. It won't fall back to 1.0 TLS, um, it will it will fail. So make sure that your code uh, is all using TLS 1.2 and above. And the last one is, uh, this actually caught my eye uh, earlier uh, earlier in the week. Uh, we now have the ability uh, on Windows VMs to automatically um, apply patches. More importantly, 
patches that Microsoft has deemed uh, critical security patches automatically to your VMs uh, during off-peak hours. You have to opt in for this. It's not something that we're just going to do because I know people like to patch their images on a, you know, in a controlled manner. Totally understand that. Uh, but this is really nice. The fact that you can have um, as you basically take care of the patching of your Windows VMs is uh, is absolutely awesome. So, Sarah, over to you. Cool. Yeah. So I've got a couple of things that uh, looked interesting this week for me. Um, obviously, I, you know, I always uh, have to find something to talk about with um, Azure Monitor and Log Analytics, etc. Um, but something very cool is that the Log Analytics REST APIs are now GA. Now, the Log Analytics REST APIs have been around a little while, but they were in preview. And now they are generally available, which means, of course, they are fully supported. And in, as well as that, uh, the the new uh, Log Analytics REST APIs will also support customer managed keys, bring your own storage. Um, and we have had um, about four preview versions. Um, and that's and th this new release of the APIs has consolidated all those things. So if you are using or have been using the Log Analytics REST APIs, go and have a look at this new release because um, it's much, much tidier, much nicer. And also you, you definitely want to swap over to it because it's GA. Um, another uh, another good old bit of Azure Monitor is Azure API management is actually going to be retiring some legacy metrics. Uh, we, we've announced this very, very early. Um, we're going to, uh, we're actually not going to retire things until 2023. So this is three years away, but uh, I guess it's something to be aware of at this point in time. Uh, so you can start to plan for it. So, you know, three years is well, a long time, uh, but probably not so much in tech migration years. But the, um, what we're going to do is there's five legacy metrics that are going to be retired, which are total gateway requests, successful gateway requests, unauthorized gateway requests, failed gateway requests, and other gateway requests. So um, you need to, if you're using those, start to have a look at what we've replaced that with, which is the, um, uh, the request metric and start to think about how you're going to move off that. Because, as I said, three years is, is probably a long time for most people, but we know in IT tech years, it's probably not so much. Um, another bit of two bits of news from my side of the world as well is that in uh, mainland China, uh, which if you deal with uh, mainland, Ch mainland China in Azure, you'll know that's a separate uh, separate bit of Azure. Uh, private link is now available on mainland China data centers. Um, so if you're unfamiliar with private link, that's a way of accessing our PaaS services, not using the public internet facing endpoint. Um, it's something that's in the rest of Azure regions. But if you're working in China and you needed that, it's now available there too, which is very cool because I do love private link. And then finally, another thing that's available in my side of the world is that uh, confidential compute machines, uh, which are the Azure Virtual Machines DC um, SV2 series, are now available in Southeast Asia. So Southeast Asia is... Uh, essentially around Singapore. Um, confidential computing is a very cool thing that you may or may not be using. And essentially, um, but it's something you should look at because it's going to become much bigger in the future. And it basically allows you to make um, enclave-based applications. And so everything is, is contained within that enclave whilst it's being processed. Um, it may or may not be something that you need to do as your organization. But just so you know, you can now do it if you use the Southeast Asia region. And 
that's my news for this week. Okay, let's switch tacks now and let's introduce our special guest this week. We have Yuna Arenas. She is a group manager in the Microsoft Graph team. Hey, uh, Yuna, why don't you uh, spend a little moment, uh, introduce yourself, explain to people what you do, how long you've been at Microsoft, and then let's, uh, let's get into Microsoft Graph. Thank you, Michael. So hello, everyone. I'm very happy to be here in the podcast today. Thank you so much, Michael, Gladys, Mark and Sarah for inviting me. My name is Yina Arenas. I've been at Microsoft for the last 10 years. Yes, it's incredible that I just completed my first decade in the company. And throughout my entire career at Microsoft, I have been working with developers as customers as part of what we know today as Microsoft 365. So one of the the big accomplishments that I've done in my career at Microsoft is that uh, developers that are integrating with our products don't have to mind so much about Microsoft's internal organizational structure and can access all of the data that our services have to offer using a unified REST API that enables access to all of the data that we have in Microsoft 365 for our services, for our, for our customers, I'm sorry. So that is actually in a nutshell, what's Microsoft Graph. So if you think about uh, Microsoft 365, well, it delivers a set of experiences for the way people work today and into the future. And those experiences are powered by one of the largest human uh, activity networks, like one of the largest graphs of human activity that has ever been created for work, and that is the Microsoft Graph. So I think you may have kind of touched on it, but what's the origin of it? I mean, what problems were we trying to solve here with Microsoft Graph? Well, I think there's there's a little bit of two parts of that and the answer to that question. The first one is around what a customer and end customer will perceive, which is if you think about the evolution of our services, about 10 years ago, we started with this journey of offering our cloud-based services, productivity services like Exchange and SharePoint and Azure Active Directory and so forth. And um, so, those, those uh, moving to the cloud enabled us to create more contextual experiences for our customers. And those contextual experiences and the activity that they have, all of the, the creation of data that they have in our services, that is the origins of the graph, right? Like every single email they send, every single conversation they have, every single file, every single meeting task, every single device, every single group that is created, all of that data is represented in the graph. That's part one. Now, part two, that's where our developers and IT administrators come in. Like if you think about all of this interconnectedness data, it actually underneath the covers continues to be stored in the distributed systems that we have within Microsoft. And uh, initially accessing that data across these distributed systems, which what I call doing a little bit of brain surgery and having to understand where all of that data was stored, the different set of APIs that they were exposed, the different set of authentication and authorization mechanisms. And uh, that was actually quite difficult. So that enabled, um, that created an opportunity for us to make it simpler for our customers, for developers, 
and, and also IT administrators to provide this layer on top that we call the Microsoft Graph API that provides a gateway to all of this data. So whether it is you know, a file, a, a calendar in an event or an email or an activity or a task, uh, Microsoft Graph is the gateway to all of that data and not only the data, but also the intelligence behind Microsoft 365 expressed in a simple HTTP request. So the origins come from like how um, we're trying to make it more simple and more like easy for developers to access all of that data. And of course, they want to access all of that data because they want to create applications on top of um, of our, of our services that leverage all of the, the data that we have. What are the services in Azure that we are, that actually expose data and graph? Could you give us some examples of, of what, what you could use it for? Sure. So there's a couple of questions there. Like some of the services. Um, actually, Microsoft Graph, as I was saying, is, is um, if you think about, let me frame it a little bit. If you think about what Microsoft offers when it comes to cloud services, uh, enterprise cloud services, there's three opportunities. One is Azure, which is pure platform as a service, right? Like you get storage networking compute as a developer, and you can use that platform as a service. The second one is uh, Microsoft 365, which is actually software as a service for productivity and security in the organizations. And the third one is Dynamics 365, which provides business applications for specific needs like CRM. Now, Microsoft Graph is mainly focused on Microsoft 365, enabling access to all of that data around productivity uh, and organizational management and all of these um, information around around users and groups and organizations and the, the, all of the data that enables that productivity. So some of the services that are exposed are Exchange Online, which has all of the services for mail, uh, all of the mail that goes around all of the organization, calendar, like all of the events, all of the contacts, all of the tasks that are powering now, like of the experiences that we call the to-do, all of the, the content that is coming from the SharePoint service, which is like sites and pages and files and lists, all of the content that is coming from Azure Active Directory around organizational management, groups, uh, um, devices, uh, all of the content that is coming from Intune, uh, and many, many more services like OneNote and Planner and Excel and um, even Windows services, which all of the, the functionality that is powering the activities and the timeline. So the graph exposes around, uh, I think it's more than 50 different teams at Microsoft who are exposing the APIs uh, uh, through Microsoft Graph. And it provides a tremendous amount of value for developers because again, I, they don't have to like figure out where all that data is coming from. The graph stitches out for, for, for the consumers of the API and enables um, them to build these interconnected experiences that can reach out to the context for the user and, and get that get access to all of that data. How is that data secure? Uh, and what are the privacy concerns that customer may have? Uh, is that data only come from uh, Microsoft services or, or is there other type of data that is, is brought in? That's a great question, Gladys. So 
The data that is exposed through Microsoft Graph belongs to the users and the organizations which are Microsoft's customers. So as such, uh, we have extensive security and privacy practices that enable access to the data only with the consent of the users and the administrators who are the owners of the data that is to be accessed. So we use uh, web uh, standards. Uh, we use OAuth 2.0 to govern the access of each of the data. And furthermore, administrators have full capability to control which are the applications and, and write policies around which type of applications, which type of data they can access those applications, which type of users can consent or not within the organization. So there is an entire layer of security and privacy that we have on top of the API that uh, governs the data access and that enables the applications to um, you know, be successfully adopted within the organization. And furthermore, we have a set of programs that uh, like put more depth on the trust and security that we have with our partners. For example, we have a new Microsoft app, 365 app compliance program in which our partners, ISVs that are building applications on top of our, the Microsoft Graph data will uh, go through a process of getting themselves uh, being a verified publisher for the, for the application, then self-attesting their data handling and security pra practices, and then all um, finally culminating into the Microsoft 365 certification program, which goes to extensively to validate a set of um, uh, controls around the practices that uh, this application has with the data that they're accessing for our customers in Microsoft 365. And giving the administrator full visibility on like the practices that these applications uh, implement and, and giving them the tools to make decisions uh, in the organization about them. This is awesome. I'm always excited about that interconnection and interoperation of data. Um, but many times I hear people talking about Microsoft Graph, Graph Security API, Security Graph API. Are they the same? Can you provide some insight? Sure, absolutely. So um, Microsoft Graph is uh, the larger umbrella set of uh, the data that we have across all of these different services. Security Graph is one of those areas providing access to security-related information. In this case, Security Graph actually provides information for all of the alerts that are coming in from Microsoft services and also from other services that um, bring in or federate that access, that data access into Microsoft Graph. So uh, you could think about it as the, the simplest way is Security Graph is... Um, a subset of, of what the larger Microsoft Graph is. So Microsoft Graph has information about security, has information about productivity, has information about organizational management, has information about education, like has information about all of these different dimensions of services that we have within our, our portfolio. Security being one of them. And the security API is an interface that uh, enables a set of um, alerts to be exposed through the API, uh, alerts being one of these, I will call it uh, data representations. Uh, in addition to alerts, we have all of the other entities or data representations that I was mentioning before, right? Like devices, organizations, uh, you know, things that are coming in from um, personal productivity, like communications, messages in Teams, chats, and 
calendar invites and the reporting of like the usage of all of the different services on, on Microsoft 365, like all of that is data. So it's like, when you think about it, it's like a vast, large amount of data that is in the Microsoft Graph umbrella and Security Graph API is one of those data sets. So well, the question I had is sort of like looking out through the point of view of say I'm an IT admin or a security admin, you know, what what controls do I have, right? You know, in addition to all the backend encryption protections and all that, but what do I have to sort of secure that? And and what should I be thinking about to to protect uh, the Graph API and, and and the use of it? So um, that's that's a great question, Mark. I touched a little bit on that uh, with talking about the policies. So as an administrator in the organization, I will talk about two opportunities. One is using Microsoft Graph. So you can use as an administrator Microsoft Graph. I get a lot of administrators reaching out to me and telling them, like telling me how they're using even tools like Graph Explorer, which it's a way that uh, it's a tool that we have for developers to explore what the API has to offer. And they're using it to like quickly do things like, for example, get the ID of a group or like uh, delete a group or thing uh, like do quick management activities that they have to do on a daily basis. Um, so there is an opportunity to use it. And furthermore, we have now, which we are announcing at Ignite 2020, the general availability of our PowerShell SDK. Our PowerShell SDK is a set of PowerShell modules that uh, are you know, connected to the Microsoft Graph and uh, contain all of the different set of APIs that Microsoft Graph has to offer. And so as an IT administrator, you can write uh, and automate a whole bunch of workflows that you have uh, in your organization. So for example, imagine the next time that you have to onboard a user and add them to you know, multiple groups, add them to security groups, or uh, make sure that they're, uh, all of the metadata for that user is up to date and uh, all of that, that, they're, that they have um, all of the things that they need in an automated fashion. Uh, you can write a script using PowerShell against the Microsoft Graph to get that done, right? Like imagine, for example, that you're an administrator that is creating applications in Azure Active Directory and, and instead of having to go through the Azure portal every single time, you can create a script that automates that. So that's the that's a, uh, a, one of the opportunities for IT admins is using Microsoft Graph. Now, to your question about, you know, as an administrator, how do I make sure that the data in my organization that is being accessed through Microsoft Graph is secure? So it goes back to, you know, the data, every single application developer that wants to access data in Microsoft Graph will have to go through a consent flow. And depending on what type of data they want to access, the either users in the organization will be able to consent or the administrators will be needed to consent. In which cases users can consent? In the cases where the, the, the data is scoped to that signed in user, for example, giving access to their files in OneDrive. And the actual things that the application can access is only the, the resources for that particular user that gave consent. The cases in which the administrator will require to consent is those that are uh, tenant-wide level access to data. So for example, like all of the directory in the organization, that's something that a normal user will not be able to consent and administrators will need to consent. And furthermore, the, as an administrator- the existing permission model then, right? Yes, it's the existing permission model. And as an administrator, you can control, like tune that permission model even further. So you can, for example, say, I will allow, as a, with policies set up in Azure Active Directory, as an administrator, you can say, like, I want to allow that only publisher-verified apps are uh, enabled 
for consent in my organization. Or I want to allow that only applications that access a low level set of permissions, like for example, accessing the user profile, like basic user profile, which at, at times is very needed for people card scenarios, right? Like the, what's the user's name and what's their department and so forth, but it doesn't go to the depth of all of the information that is about the user. So you can define the policies that specify which are the set of permissions that you want that application to access. So through policies, through the visibility that, um, that our publisher verification and app certification programs will, uh, will give you. So the administrators can use the combination of that to control that data access within the organization. So from, a, from an API perspective, if I want to do something like, you know, as a developer, like trying to do security things, is the Graph Security API pretty much the whole story? Or are there other security APIs that I would want to be aware of for, for doing things? So there is uh, several APIs related to security on uh, the Microsoft Graph, uh, depending on different set of scenarios. So if you start with Azure Active Directory, like all of the functionality that Azure Active Directory has to offer it related to security is exposed in Microsoft Graph. It might not be branded as security, a Graph API or a Graph Security API as we were talking about before, but think about like all of the like organizational management and uh, like, you know, user and group management policies are back. All of those different things are enabled in an um, accessible in Microsoft Graph, right? Like so all of the things that you think about identity and access and, and access management, of course, is part of Microsoft Graph. And um, so that's one of the areas. Another area is around Intune, which provides all of that endpoint management. So all of the capabilities that endpoint that Intune has to offer, which are some at some point related to security, right? Like conditional access policies, uh, tying back to Azure Active Directory, all of those capabilities are in Microsoft Graph. And then on the security side, like you know, alert information, information protection, security score, secure score, uh, being able to control profiles, all of that is available in the Microsoft Graph. So I'm going to be honest with you. The first time I sort of played around with Microsoft Graph, I mean, I got really excited because it's REST API this and REST API that, and I was playing around with the um, the Microsoft Graph, uh, Graph Explorer. Mm -hmm. But from a, from a development perspective, you know, I enjoy I enjoy playing with it and experimenting with it. But is this purely for developers or is there a, like an IT aspect to this as well? Yes, of course, there's, a, uh, there's an IT aspect. I think that uh, and now more with our PowerShell SDK, as I was mentioning before, the, it's true that the, all of the data is exposed to this programmable interface, uh, exposed via HTTP, a REST API. Uh, so for developers, we have uh, a full suite of libraries that they can use across different languages, .NET, Java, JavaScript, and so forth. Uh, and then for IT administrators, I think there's a, a, a couple of options. Um, the one that I will think that they will gravitate the most is, of course, our PowerShell SDK, where uh, we have all of the set of commandlets that support the, all of the data sets in Microsoft Graph. And then, um, but there are others, like, for example, that I see a lot of administrators using, like uh, around um, 
flow or like now it's called power automate right um power automate or or power apps uh and creating low code solutions for like specific needs uh we talked about automating a whole bunch of different workflows that administrators had to do on a regular basis so whether it is scripting with powershell or um you know, or doing it through uh, a low-code low tool, those are ways that in which administrators can leverage all of what Graph has to offer. This is a lot of great information. Now I want to learn way more about the security graph, but what is one thought that you want to leave uh, our listeners with? So I'll just reiterate that security graph is just a portion of what the larger Microsoft Graph has to offer, right? Like, so... It is like literally uh, uh, a small percentage of all of the different services that are exposed through Microsoft Graph. So with Microsoft Graph, you can make applications that like are contextual about what the, experience, the user is going through, like that can intelligently leverage the data that we have across Microsoft 365 to make meaningful connections between people and information. For example, one of the other services that we have in Microsoft Graph is our people API, who um, intelligently calculates what are the people that you work with the most. And when you go and query for relevant people, like, for example, if I go and make a query for a Chris Johnson, it's not just going to list the 110 Chris Johnsons that we had in, in, at the company, but it's going to work list the Chris Johnsons that I work with, not necessarily because there is a relationship on an organizational structure, but because the graph has calculated that based on all of the information that we have on the signals of collaboration between those two users. So my, uh, security graph is an important component of Microsoft Graph, but it's, there's way more that Microsoft Graph has to offer when it comes to data and intelligence that power the services that we have in Microsoft 365. And then one thing that uh, I'll leave you all before, before we wrap up for today is like, I invite you to try the API. I invite you to try Microsoft Graph. The one just thing to remember is graph.microsoft.com. That is the URL that that is not only the endpoint for the API, but it will also take you to our developer documentation where you can learn about all of what the API has to offer. You can use that Graph Explorer that Michael was referencing earlier, where you can play and see all of the API requests in action. You can find getting started tutorials and samples and all of the different things that, that you'll need in order to get started working and playing with Microsoft Graph. As a developer, you can also like get um, a Microsoft 365 developer tenant, which enables you to have a, you can think about it as a larger playground as a larger, larger sandbox where you can have your own Microsoft 365 account to develop and test your applications with sample data. So there's a ton of resources available in graph.microsoft.com. And that is the one thing that I will leave you today. Again, graph.microsoft.com. Hey, you know, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. I know I definitely learned a few things. And so thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, we hope you found this podcast useful. Take care out there and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.